I want to thank you for joining us uh, today. If you're watching us on Facebook or listening by CD or on podcast, uh, let me say to all the fathers out there, happy Father's Day, and I hope you have a great day in the Lord. I want to go to God's Word today in the book of Colossians chapter 3, and as you're finding that, uh, Paul writes this letter to combat some heresies that had invaded the church at Colossae. And when one reads the book of Colossians, you realize that Paul had a simple philosophy, and his philosophy was simply this, that every major problem that the church was dealing with, the answer could be found in a right relationship and knowing who Jesus Christ is. Now, that may be simplistic to some people, but Jesus Christ is the answer. And if Paul were writing to our churches today, there's no doubt in my mind that he would say the answer to our social problems, the answer to our moral problems is not education, it's not new laws, it's not science, it's not even religion. The answer is Jesus Christ. See, too many voices are telling us, and these voices are even in the church, that we need something more than Jesus Christ. But if Jesus Christ in the gospel is not the answer, then what we're doing here is a farce. But I know, I believe with all my heart and I've seen that Jesus Christ is the answer to our world's problems. See, we're not going to reach the world by trying to become like the world. We're not going to change the world by adopting its methods, by adopting its ideals, by adopting its definitions, by adopting its languages. We will only change the world by the gospel of Jesus Christ and the world seeing Jesus Christ in us. And so in chapters 1 and chapter 2, Paul writes this letter to correct doctrinal errors. And in chapter 3, he begins to focus on the Christian's practice. See, sound doctrine will produce sound living. And as a follower of Christ Jesus, it's not only important for us to declare and defend the truth, but we also must demonstrate the truth. Paul writes in Titus chapter 1 verse 16 that they profess that they know God, but in their works they deny him. See, your belief will determine your behavior. And so your position in Christ should change your practice in this world. And I want to pick up in chapter 3, verse 1, and we're going to read a good bit of these verses today, but let's go over this. And you're going to see in these verses that Paul is going to have a reminder, and then he's going to give us our responsibility he will remind us of something, and so this is your responsibility. And I think there's a lot of times we need to be reminded of some things in our life of who we are and how we should act. And so this is what the Apostle Paul does. He's laid the groundwork in the first two chapters for good sound doctrine, and now he wants us to put this into practice. And so let's look at what he says. Reading from the New Living Translation, he says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ. In other words, this is the reminder. Paul is reminding us that we are pilgrims just passing through. He says in Philippians chapter 3 that our citizenship is in heaven 
we have a new life in Christ Jesus. Now he moves to the responsibility in, in, in verse 1b. He says, since we've been raised with Christ Jesus in a new life, then he says, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. And so our responsibility as believers, because we've been given a new life, is to first seek things which are above. Look what he says. He says, set your sights, in other words, set your desires on things above. It is in the present tense, so what he's saying is, this is something you have continually got to do. It also indicates that it is something that that God is not going to make us do, but it's something that we must consciously decide to do. God isn't going to make us seek things above, but he's going to give us a help by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so is he telling us that we should be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good? Of course not. But what he is telling us is this, is that we have always got to keep our desires, keep our sights on eternity, on what God has for us. See, if you go back to the book of Hebrews chapter 11, when the writer of Hebrews is talking about those great heroes of the faith and how they endured all kind of persecutions, how they had their, you know, they had their goods plundered. He says this in verse 15 of chapter 11 of Hebrews. He says, if they had looked for the country they came from, they could have went back, verse 16, but they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. And so what Paul is telling us in chapter 3, verse 1, he says you've got to keep seeking those things which are above. The direction of a child of God has got to be heavenward, not earthly. Hold tight to what is eternal, and you've got to hold loosely to what is temporal. Then he says this in verse 1. He says, not unless you keep seeking those things which are above, he says you've got to keep your mind on things above. And so, Look at verse 2. He says, think about the things of heaven, not the things on earth. The little translation of this would be, the things above keep setting your mind on. Now, why should we continue to set our mind on the things above? Well, because as a Christian, we have three mortal enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Say that again. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And those three things will continuously try to draw us back into this sin-sick world. And so how do we combat that? Well, as a child of God... God wants our minds to be transformed. Romans 12, verse 2. Apostle Paul writes, Don't 
copy the behaviors and custom of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And so our responsibility as children of God is to keep seeking, have desires that are heavenly, and we've got to keep a mind that is heavenly, that is spiritual. And so Paul doesn't mean that we should never think about things on this earth, but what he is saying is don't let that become the main focus. Don't let it become the main goal. Don't let it become your master. Don't let it become your idol. Don't let those things control your mind and your desires. And so we need to ask ourselves today, where is our hearts? Where are our desires? Where is our thinking at? Our responsibility as Christians is to set our desires, to set our minds on things above. Now he's going to go back to another reminder. He's gave us a reminder, responsibility. Now he's going back to give us another reminder in verse 3 and 4. Look what he says here, Colossians chapter 3, 3 and 4. He says, for you died to this life. In other words, we died to the power, to the rule, to the mastery of sin and this world. I think the Apostle Paul makes a very interesting statement in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, when he says this, Because of the cross, my interest in the world has been crucified, and the world's interest in me has also died. And so he reminds us, you died to this life. He says, your real life is hidden with Christ in God. That means that it is kept safe. It is, it is a, a, a secret. It is, is, is protected by God. And then he says this, and when Christ, who is your life, when he is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. And so there's a reminder. We've died to this life. We've died to this world. Our real life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ appears again, then that's when we're going to really start living. And so now he's going to give us a responsibility. Remember, reminder, responsibility, reminder, responsibility. Verse 5. He says, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Put to death. What does he mean there? He means you've got to cut the umbilical cord, so to speak. You've got to cut that lifeline of those habits and practices that characterized your life before you come to know Jesus Christ. See, sin will not die out of itself. We must kill it. And death is a painful process. But see, if you don't put sin to death, 
sin will seek to destroy you. So what Paul is saying is, take no prisoner, show no mercy, kill it, or it's going to destroy you. It's like the man, a little illustration I heard about a man who was often going forward at the end of every church service, and he would always pray the prayer, Lord, take these cobwebs out of my life. And so finally, one Sunday, after this has happened for a, quite a long time, his pastor, tired of hearing the same old prayer, knelt beside him and cried, Lord, kill the spider in his life. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying you've got to put to death at the root of the problem these things. I think it's interesting he says this word. He says these things are lurking within you. You know what the word lurking means? It means that something is hidden that is waiting for an opportune time to ambush you. See, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days, and the devil came and tempted him. The Bible says in Luke chapter 4, verse 13, that when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. And so you got to realize this. As a child of God, we've got to always be on guard because there are things in this old flesh of ours that's just lurking, that are waiting to pounce at the right opportunity. And so Paul gives us a grocery list, so to speak, of things that are lurking, that are waiting for an opportunity to attack us that we must be on guard about and we must put to death. Look what he says, verse 5. He says, have nothing to do with, first and foremost, he says, sexual immorality. Now, we live in a sex-crazed world where sexual morality is all around us. You've got to flee all forms of sexual immorality, the Bible tells us. And then he says impurity. What is impurity? It's simply dirty thoughts. You may say, well, that doesn't bother anybody. I just bother myself, what I, have in my, what I think about in my mind. Well, thoughts become actions. And so you've got to put to death dirty thoughts. And then he says, you got to put to death lust. What is lust? Lust is always wanting more. It's not necessarily in a sexual connotation there. It can be, but it's just always wanting more. You've got to learn to control those fleshly desires of always wanting more. And then he says evil desires. Put those things to death because desires leads to deeds. And then he says put to death greed. What is greed? Greed is covetousness. It's an insatiable selfishness, always wanting more material things, always wanting more possessions, always wanting more money. He says you've got to put those things to death, so that's a responsibility. Now he's going to move back to the reminder. Verse 6, look what he says. He says, because of these things, the anger of God is coming and then he says, you used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. So he wants to remind us, God's judgment is coming, and God will judge fairly and righteously. And then he says, he reminds us, in Christ Jesus, you're a new creation. 
Old things are passed away. You have a new life in Christ. You're not the same. You don't do the same old things you used to do because Jesus Christ lives inside of you. Then he moves on to the responsibility again. Verse 8. He says, but now is the time. In other words, this is urgent. Don't delay. He says, it's time to get rid of. And he gives us page two of this grocery list, so to speak. What does he say to get rid of? He says, get rid of, first and foremost, anger. What is anger? It's that deep, smoldering, resentful bitterness. See, if you watch the news, if you're on social media, if you're not careful, you are going to get angry. And if you don't let that go, it's going to fester a root of bitterness in your life. That's what the Bible tells us to be angry, but do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And then he says, not only must you get rid of anger, he says rage. See, if you don't get rid of anger, it's going to exhibit itself in rage, which is simply an outburst of anger. It is violence. If you don't get rid of anger, it's going to exhibit itself in violence in outburst then he says you got to get rid of malicious behavior what is malicious behavior it's a desire to cause pain injury or distress to another these are things that are lurking inside of around us and so we've got to be on guard because they're waiting for an opportunity to attack us and then he says get rid of slander what is slander Slander is simply the utterance of false charges or misrepresentations which defame someone. Whether it's with our mouth, whether it's what we post on Facebook, you have got to get rid of things that are not true. And then he says get rid of dirty language, which is obscene speech, filthy or dirty speech, having a foul mouth. He says get rid of those things, kill those things. Then he says, don't lie to each other. Get rid of falsehoods. Speak the truth in love. And then he gives us, here we go again. He gives us the reminder, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. But he doesn't just tell us to kill some things and put some things away. Then he tells us to put on some things. Look at verse 10. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. So what do we need to put on? Let's get into verse 12 and then we'll come back to verse 11 in just a little bit. He says, since God chose you to be holy, that's a reminder, people he loves, you must Clothe yourself with, and here's what he says, tender-hearted mercy. What does that mean? It means empathy. It means to be moved by someone's suffering to the point that you want to help them. And then it says you've got to clothe yourself with kindness. What is kindness? Kindness is helping to meet someone's need. And then he says you need to clothe yourself with humility. What is that? That is thinking, other, thinking of others more than yourself. 
And then he says, you've got to clothe yourself with gentleness, which is simply power that is under control. And then he says, you've got to clothe yourself with patience. What is patience? It is the ability not to lose patience when people are foolish, not to grow irritable when they seem unteachable. It is the ability to accept the folly, the perversity, the blindness, the ingratitude of men, and still remain gracious and still toil on. And then he says in verse 13, make allowance for each other's faults. You see, we've all got faults. We've all got warts. We've all got issues, whether whatever side you're trying to be on in this world we're living in, every side has warts, every side has faults, every side has issues. And so what he says there is you've got to put up with other people because they're having to put up with you. Then verse 13b, he says, and forgive anyone who offends you. Now, we don't like that. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. See, that word forgiveness, it means to cancel the debt. It means to cancel the debt. It means you don't owe me anything. When you forgive somebody, it's not, well, I forgive you, but I'm going to keep reminding you of this. That's not forgiveness. Because the same way Jesus Christ has forgiven every single one of us in Christ Jesus, he doesn't bring up our past. He casts our sins as far as the east is from the west. He doesn't remember our iniquity. He doesn't keep a record of our iniquities. He forgives us, and that's the same way we have got to forgive others. And then he says this in verse 14. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. What is love? Well, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 6, this is what, how you know that you're exhibiting love. He says love is patient. It's kind. It's not jealous. It's not boastful. It's not proud. It's not rude. It does not demand its own ways. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. And that's what we need today. We need to quit keeping a record of wrongs but we also need not to rejoice in injustice. Then he says, verse 15, And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body you are called to live in peace, and always be thankful. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the children of God. And let me give you one more reminder. Let's go back to verse 11. We skipped that earlier, but I want to end with this. Look what he says. He says, in this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew 
or a Gentile, because Jews called Gentiles, you know, they were derogatory toward the Gentiles. They were outsiders. He said it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter if you are circumcised or uncircumcised. If you are barbaric, and a barbaric was just simply someone that didn't speak someone, their language, uncivilized, slave or free. Now look what he says here. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in us all. See, in this new life in Christ, there is no distinction of race or nationality or tribe. See, I don't have a Chinese brother in Christ. I don't have a black brother in Christ. I don't have a Japanese brother in Christ or sister in Christ. I just simply have a brother in Christ. And we are all on equal footing at the cross. At the cross, the ground is level. And because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross... And you can read that in Ephesians chapter 2, starting verse 11, all the way through the end of that chapter. Jesus Christ, by his blood, has reconciled us and made us one and broken down that wall. See, we're all members of Christ's body. We are all one. And so, we as a child of God, we got a responsibility and it's not to this world, it's to this word here. And so, as Paul did, I want to remind you who you are. You're in Christ Jesus. You have a new life. You're called to be holy. You're called to be in the world, but not of the world. And because of that calling, we have a responsibility, not to this world, but to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. God, your word is like a hammer. It's like a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path. Your word changes us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And God, I pray as your people, we would set our affections, set our thoughts on things above and realize that we've died to this life. We've died to this world. And we've been given a new life in Christ Jesus. And I pray as your people, God, that we would be sober, be vigilant, and be put to death those evil things that are just lurking, waiting for an opportunity to pounce on us. And God, we know that you broke down every barrier by sending your son on Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us. And I pray as your people that we would live lives that are holy and acceptable unto you which is our reasonable service. And Lord, for those things in this, that we're struggling with, with its anger, with its rage, with its unforgiveness, I pray, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to confess those things to you and live lives that are pleasing unto you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me say we love you. We're praying for you. If there's anything that we can do to help you, uh, please let us know. Have a great week in the Lord until next time. God bless you.
I want to thank you for joining us uh, today. If you're watching us on Facebook or listening by CD or on podcast, uh, let me say to all the fathers out there, happy Father's Day, and I hope you have a great day in the Lord. I want to go to God's Word today in the book of Colossians chapter 3, and as you're finding that, uh, Paul writes this letter to combat some heresies that had invaded the church at Colossae. And when one reads the book of Colossians, you realize that Paul had a simple philosophy, and his philosophy was simply this, that every major problem that the church was dealing with, the answer could be found in a right relationship and knowing who Jesus Christ is. Now, that may be simplistic to some people, but Jesus Christ is the answer. And if Paul were writing to our churches today, there's no doubt in my mind that he would say the answer to our social problems, the answer to our moral problems is not education, it's not new laws, it's not science, it's not even religion. The answer is Jesus Christ. See, too many voices are telling us, and these voices are even in the church, that we need something more than Jesus Christ. But if Jesus Christ in the gospel is not the answer, then what we're doing here is a farce. But I know, I believe with all my heart, and I've seen that Jesus Christ is the answer to our world's problems. See, we're not going to reach the world by trying to become like the world. We're not going to change the world by adopting its methods, by adopting its ideals, by adopting its definitions, by adopting its languages. We will only change the world by the gospel of Jesus Christ and the world seeing Jesus Christ in us. And so in chapters 1 and chapter 2, Paul writes this letter to correct doctrinal errors. And in chapter 3, he begins to focus on the Christian's practice. See, sound doctrine will produce sound living. And as a follower of Christ Jesus, it's not only important for us to declare and defend the truth, but we also must demonstrate the truth. Paul writes in Titus chapter 1 verse 16 that they profess that they know God, but in their works they deny him. See, your belief will determine your behavior. And so your position in Christ should change your practice in this world. And I want to pick up in chapter 3, verse 1, and we're going to read a good bit of these verses today, but let's go over this. And you're going to see in these verses that Paul is going to have a reminder, and then he's going to give us our responsibility he will remind us of something, and so this is your responsibility. And I think there's a lot of times we need to be reminded of some things in our life of who we are and how we should act. And so this is what the Apostle Paul does. He's laid the groundwork in the first two chapters for good sound doctrine, and now he wants us to put this into practice. And so let's look at what he says. Reading from the New Living Translation, he says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ. In other words, this is the reminder. Paul is reminding us that we are pilgrims just passing through. He says in Philippians chapter 3 that our citizenship is in heaven 
we have a new life in Christ Jesus. Now he moves to the responsibility in, in, in verse 1b. He says, since we've been raised with Christ Jesus in a new life, then he says, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. And so our responsibility as believers, because we've been given a new life, is to first seek things which are above. Look what he says. He says, set your sights. In other words, set your desires on things above. It is in the present tense. So what he's saying is, this is something you have continually got to do. It also indicates that it is something that that God is not going to make us do, but it's something that we must consciously decide to do. God isn't going to make us seek things above, but he's going to give us a help by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so is he telling us that we should be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good? Of course not. But what he is telling us is this, is that we have always got to keep our desires, keep our sights on eternity, on what God has for us. See, if you go back to the book of Hebrews chapter 11, when the writer of Hebrews is talking about those great heroes of the faith and how they endured all kind of persecutions, how they had their, you know, they had their goods plundered. He says this in verse 15 of chapter 11 of Hebrews. He says, if they had looked for the country they came from, they could have went back, verse 16, but they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. And so what Paul is telling us in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, you've got to keep seeking those things which are above. The direction of a child of God has got to be heavenward, not earthly. Hold tight to what is eternal, and you've got to hold loosely to what is temporal. Then he says this in verse 1. He says, not unless you keep seeking those things which are above. He says, you've got to keep your mind on things above. And so, Look at verse 2. He says, think about the things of heaven, not the things on earth. The little translation of this would be, the things above keep setting your mind on. Now, why should we continue to set our mind on the things above? Well, because as a Christian, we have three mortal enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Say that again. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And those three things will continuously try to draw us back into this sin-sick world. And so how do we combat that? Well, as a child of God... God wants our minds to be transformed. Romans 12, verse 2. Apostle Paul writes, Don't 
copy the behaviors and custom of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And so our responsibility as children of God is to keep seeking, have desires that are heavenly, and we've got to keep a mind that is heavenly, that is spiritual. And so Paul doesn't mean that we should never think about things on this earth, but what he is saying is don't let that become the main focus. Don't let it become the main goal. Don't let it become your master. Don't let it become your idol. Don't let those things control your mind and your desires. And so we need to ask ourselves today, where is our hearts? Where are our desires? Where is our thinking at? Our responsibility as Christians is to set our desires, to set our minds on things above. Now he's going to go back to another reminder. He's gave us a reminder, responsibility. Now he's going back to give us another reminder in verse 3 and 4. Look what he says here, Colossians chapter 3, 3 and 4. He says, for you died to this life. In other words, we died to the power, to the rule, to the mastery of sin and this world. I think the Apostle Paul makes a very interesting statement in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, when he says this, Because of the cross, my interest in the world has been crucified, and the world's interest in me has also died. And so he reminds us, you died to this life. He says, your real life is hidden with Christ in God. That means that it is kept safe. It is, it is a, a, a secret. It is, is, is protected by God. And then he says this, and when Christ, who is your life, when he is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. And so there's a reminder. We've died to this life. We've died to this world. Our real life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ appears again, then that's when we're going to really start living. And so now he's going to give us a responsibility. Remember, reminder, responsibility, reminder, responsibility. Verse 5, he says, so Put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Put to death. What does he mean there? He means you've got to cut the umbilical cord, so to speak. You've got to cut that lifeline of those habits and practices that characterized your life before you come to know Jesus Christ. See, sin will not die out of itself. We must kill it, and death is a painful process. But see, if you don't put sin to death, 
sin will seek to destroy you. So what Paul is saying is, take no prisoner, show no mercy, kill it, or it's going to destroy you. It's like the man, a little illustration I heard about a man who was often going forward at the end of every church service, and he would always pray the prayer, Lord, take these cobwebs out of my life. And so finally, one Sunday, after this has happened for a, quite a long time, his pastor, tired of hearing the same old prayer, knelt beside him and cried, Lord, kill the spider in his life. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying you've got to put to death at the root of the problem these things. I think it's interesting he says this word. He says these things are lurking within you. You know what the word lurking means? It means that something is hidden that is waiting for an opportune time to ambush you. See, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days and the devil came and tempted him, the Bible says in Luke chapter 4, verse 13, that when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. And so you got to realize this, as a child of God, we've got to always be on guard because there are things in this old flesh of ours that's just lurking that are waiting to pounce at the right opportunity. And so Paul gives us a grocery list, so to speak, of things that are lurking, that are waiting for an opportunity to attack us that we must be on guard about and we must put to death. Look what he says, verse 5. He says, have nothing to do with, first and foremost, he says, sexual immorality. Now, we live in a sex-crazed world where sexual immorality is all around us. You've got to flee all forms of sexual immorality, the Bible tells us. And then he says impurity. What is impurity? It's simply dirty thoughts. You may say, well, that doesn't bother anybody. I just bother myself, what I, have in my, what I think about in my mind. Well, thoughts become actions. And so you've got to put to death dirty thoughts. And then he says, you've got to put to death lust. What is lust? Lust is always wanting more. It's not necessarily in a sexual connotation there. It can be, but it's just always wanting more. You've got to learn to control those fleshly desires of always wanting more. And then he says evil desires. Put those things to death because desires leads to deeds. And then he says put to death greed. What is greed? Greed is covetousness. It's an insatiable selfishness. Always wanting more material things. Always wanting more possessions always wanting more money. He says you've got to put those things to death, so that's a responsibility. Now he's going to move back to the reminder. Verse 6, look what he says. He says, because of these things, the anger of God is coming. And then he says, you used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. So he wants to remind us, God's judgment is coming and God will judge fairly and righteously. And then he says, he reminds us, in Christ Jesus, you're a new creation. Old things are passed away. 
You have a new life in Christ. You're not the same. You don't do the same old things you used to do because Jesus Christ lives inside of you. Then he moves on to the responsibility again. Verse 8. He says, but now is the time. In other words, this is urgent. Don't delay. He says it's time to get rid of, and he gives us page 2 of this grocery list, so to speak. What does he say to get rid of? He says get rid of, first and foremost, anger. What is anger? It's that deep, smoldering, resentful bitterness. See, if you watch the news, if you're on social media, if you're not careful, you are going to get angry. And if you don't let that go, it's going to fester a root of bitterness in your life. That's what the Bible tells us, to be angry, but do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And then he says, not only must you get rid of anger, he says rage. See, if you don't get rid of anger, it's going to exhibit itself in rage, which is simply an outburst of anger. It is violence. If you don't get rid of anger, it's going to exhibit itself in violence in outburst. Then he says you got to get rid of malicious behavior. What is malicious behavior? It's a desire to cause pain, injury, or distress to another. These are things that are lurking inside of, around us. And so we've got to be on guard because they're waiting for an opportunity to attack us. And then he says get rid of slander. What is slander? Slander is simply the utterance of false charges or misrepresentations which defame someone. Whether it's with our mouth, whether it's what we post on Facebook, you have got to get rid of things that are not true. And then he says get rid of dirty language, which is obscene speech, filthy or dirty speech, having a foul mouth. He says get rid of those things, kill those things. Then he says, don't lie to each other. Get rid of falsehoods. Speak the truth in love. And then he gives us, here we go again. He gives us the reminder. For you have stripped off your old sinful nature in all its wicked deeds. But he doesn't just tell us to kill some things and put some things away then he tells us to put on some things. Look at verse 10. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. So what do we need to put on? Let's get into verse 12 and then we'll come back to verse 11 in just a little bit. He says, since God chose you to be holy, that's a reminder, people he loves, you must Clothe yourself with, here's what he says, tender-hearted mercy. What does that mean? It means empathy. It means to be moved by someone's suffering to the point that you want to help them. And then says you've got to clothe yourself with kindness. What is kindness? Kindness is helping to meet someone's need. And then he says you need to clothe yourself with humility. What is that? That is thinking, other, thinking of others more than yourself. 
And then he says, you've got to clothe yourself with gentleness, which is simply power that is under control. And then he says, you've got to clothe yourself with patience. What is patience? It is the ability not to lose patience when people are foolish, not to grow irritable when they seem unteachable. It is the ability to accept the folly, the perversity, the blindness, the ingratitude of men, and still remain gracious and still toil on. And then he says in verse 13, make allowance for each other's faults. You see, we've all got faults. We've all got warts. We've all got issues, whether whatever side you're trying to be on in this world we're living in, every side has warts, every side has faults, every side has issues. And so what he says there is you've got to put up with other people because they're having to put up with you. Then verse 13b, he says, and forgive anyone who offends you. Now, we don't like that. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. See, that word forgiveness, it means to cancel the debt. It means to cancel the debt. It means you don't owe me anything. When you forgive somebody, it's not, well, I forgive you, but I'm going to keep reminding you of this. That's not forgiveness. Because the same way Jesus Christ has forgiven every single one of us in Christ Jesus, he doesn't bring up our past. He casts our sins as far as the east is from the west. He doesn't remember our iniquity. He doesn't keep a record of our iniquities. He forgives us, and that's the same way we have got to forgive others. And then he says this in verse 14. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. What is love? Well, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 6, this is what, how you know that you're exhibiting love. He says love is patient. It's kind. It's not jealous. It's not boastful. It's not proud. It's not rude. It does not demand its own ways. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. And that's what we need today. We need to quit keeping a record of wrongs but we also need not to rejoice in injustice. Then he says, verse 15, And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body you are called to live in peace, and always be thankful. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the children of God. And let me give you one more reminder. Let's go back to verse 11. We skipped that earlier, but I want to end with this. Look what he says. He says, in this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew 
or a Gentile, because Jews called Gentiles, you know, they were derogatory toward the Gentiles. They were outsiders. He said it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter if you are circumcised or uncircumcised. If you are barbaric, and a barbaric was just simply someone that didn't speak someone, their language, uncivilized, slave or free. Now, look what he says here. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in us all. See, in this new life, in Christ, there is no distinction of race or nationality or tribe. See, I don't have a Chinese brother in Christ. I don't have a black brother in Christ. I don't have a Japanese brother in Christ or sister in Christ. I just simply have a brother in Christ. And we are all on equal footing at the cross. At the cross, the ground is level. And because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, and you can read that in Ephesians chapter 2, starting verse 11, all the way through the end of that chapter, Jesus Christ, by his blood, has reconciled us and made us one and broken down that wall. See, we're all members of Christ's body. We are all one. And so, we as a child of God, we got a responsibility. And it's not to this world, it's to this word here. And so, as Paul did, I want to remind you who you are. You're in Christ Jesus. You have a new life. You're called to be holy. You're called to be in the world, but not of the world. And because of that calling, we have a responsibility not to this world, but to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. God, your word is like a hammer. It's like a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path. Your word changes us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And God, I pray as your people, we would set our affections, set our thoughts on things above. And realize that we've died to this life. We've died to this world. And we've been given a new life in Christ Jesus. And I pray as your people, God, that we would be sober, be vigilant, and be put to death those evil things that are just lurking, waiting for an opportunity to pounce on us. And God, we know that you broke down every barrier by sending your son on Jesus. Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us. And I pray as your people that we would live lives that are holy and acceptable unto you, which is our reasonable service. And Lord, for those things in this, that we're struggling with, with its anger, with its rage, with its unforgiveness, I pray, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to confess those things to you and live lives that are pleased unto you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me say we love you. We're praying for you. If there's anything that we can do to help you, uh, please let us know. Have a great week in the Lord. Until next time, God bless you.